it's been said many times that the best camera is the one that you have access to. Yeah. And uh, mm. I believe that, you know, like I, uh, there's stuff that is floating around the interwebs that, uh, that's stuff that I, I shot that I had very little amount of things. Um, and if you were to get behind the scenes photos of, of it, you'd be like, wow, this is pretty sketchy or not unsafe, <laughs> but just like, you know, they're using tin foil for what? You know? Come into the light. Shadow moves in the dark. Congratulations! World's best cup of coffee. What is it? <gasps> Gaff tape. Hey there, everybody, and welcome to Coffee and Gaff Tape. It is another episode, and I am Nate Anderson here with my buddy Daniel Larson. Hey, what's up, friends? And, uh, you know, if you haven't watched the show before, haven't listened, we hope you know that this show is all about being in the shadows of production. So we want to shine a light. We want to honor you. We want to tell stories of people that are involved in production in some way Mm -hmm. and bring them out into the light, have a little bit of fun along the way. And uh, today we have a great opportunity to do that. Yes, we do. Daniel, I think you've, you've arranged an awesome guest, I, I hear. Uh, I, I think so, uh, dude. So his name is Chad Gilchrist. Uh, really, really good friend of mine back in Chicago. Yeah. And, uh, dude, he's got a heart of gold. Um, but I think the cool thing, aside for his heart of gold, is uh, that he is not from the live production yeah. industry. Yeah. He's from the film world. Yeah. What, what do we call it? Is it film production? Post-production? Uh, on set? On set, whatever it is. I don't know. Yeah. There, there's a name. We're going to ask him about <laughs> it um, because we want to, you know, be uh, be correct here. Yeah. Right? Well, of course. And I, and I think it's cool because, you know, we've always said along the way, like this, this, this show is not just for live production. It's not just one niche. It's, it's anybody that's involved in the production world, anybody who's working in the shadows, anybody who's, you know, if, if gaff tape is a big part of your life, oh, this, absolutely. this show is for you. Absolutely. Absolutely. So speaking of gaff tape and speaking of it being a big part of someone's life, mm-hmm. uh, we got our first iTunes Ooh, review, or Apple podcast review. I don't yeah. even know what they call it anymore, yeah. um, but I'm going to read it. Because uh, I just think it's special. Yeah. And uh, I was so thankful that someone listened all the way to the end of the Absolutely. show. Absolutely. Uh, and heard that call out. So uh, yeah. we moved it to the front of the show. Good. To, As it should be. You know, kind of help people uh, become aware of it yeah. and how important it is to the show. Uh, Are you going to read it in an epic voice? Uh, I'm going to try to be big voice guy. Um, but so I've got it right here. So it's from The Smart Guy. Uh, so I don't know who you are, buddy, but... Thank you for doing this. Uh, five stars. Awesome. And good says, so far. Yep. <laughs> Title is informative. Good. Good. Yep. Thank you. That's our goal. Thank you. And then he says, one of the best podcasts in this industry. All right. High praise. Yeah. I always learn so much from each episode. Their guests truly inspire. Awesome. That is awesome. Thank, Thank you, you smart the, guy. Smart guy. the smart guy. Dude, if you're listening to this, which I hope you are, uh, slide into our DMs. Mm-hmm. Let us know who you are and that you wrote that review, and we mm-hmm. want to hook you up with uh, with something nice. Yeah, we'll get so you some. Let us know. Mm-hmm. Should we get into the interview? Let's do it. All right, let's go. All right, we are here with my good friend, Chad Gilchrist. Thanks so much for joining us, buddy. Uh, it's truly an uh, honor to have you on here. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So like we always do, we jump right into the questions to get to know you and who you are. So who is 
Chad Gilchrist? Um, well, I'm, I'm a cinematographer. I currently live in Chicago, but I'm, I travel quite a bit. Um, yeah, I'm a son. I'm an uncle. I'm going to be a husband pretty, pretty shortly. Nice. In the next year or so. Are you kidding me? Yeah, I didn't I haven't told you yet. Dude, that's awesome. Um, yeah, Congrats. yeah, I've, I've got the proposal all planned out. Oh, hopefully, uh, it's gonna. Ha- I, I won't. Is it is it a part of this podcast? Are we gonna? I'm just kidding. Uh, you know what? We're zooming we her in right now. Yeah. Oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> Bring it, <in> Taylor. <laughs> Dude, that's amazing. Okay. Well, yeah, let's I, let's chat offline about that because yeah, I did not know that. Chad, I also saw you worked on Fargo. Is that correct? Uh, I did. What did, did, what did you do Fargo. for that? Um, I was a lighting technician. I was also the best boy for second units. Um, I also gaffed a couple splinter units. Nice. Um, yeah. Far, Fargo has a special place in my heart. Why is that? I, I lived there for a couple of years, I, even though it wasn't, wasn't actually filmed or didn't take place in Fargo at all, but... Oh, anyway. Nice. Well, way to jump ahead there, Nate. Yeah. Appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, buddy. So, uh, what, like, what prompted you? How did you end up in the shadows of what we call, like, you know, production as a whole? How'd you get there? Uh, that's a good question. Um, you know, I, I think like a love for film was probably instilled in me by my my folks, I grew up with split parents and with, uh, with my biological dad, um, we would just watch movies, you know, he'd come over, we watch five, six movies in a day. And they were all like, you know, eighties action movies and sixties war movies and, you know, the great escape and the Indiana Jones movies and bond and all that. And with my mom, we would watch, you know, uh, anything black and white, essentially Cary Grant, Humphrey Bogart, Hitchcock, Truffaut, you know, some of the, some more classics. So I grew up with an appreciation of it. And, uh, I think at some point there was just kind of this marriage of me wanting to be hands-on and I, I have a technical side, but also, a, a artistic side. And, um, so it's kind of the perfect combo of, of all of those things. And, uh, and I mean, I also grew up in, in churches. So I did a lot of like media production, helping out behind the scenes, all that kind of stuff. So that kind of, um, spurred that on a bit more as well. Hmm. That's awesome. Okay. So you had this love of film that was kind of cultivated from a young age. Uh, what happened next and how did you kind of, you know, start this journey into like actual, like, you know, film film production it's a good question you know I, I was doing a little bit of graphic design and web design in in high school and uh which is when when, when we met that's uh, true that's that was the world i was existing in and i liked photography and uh i liked video but i think the access to it at the time was wasn't there it wasn't you know this was before the the dslr craze became video and, and all of that Um, so I don't think I recognized it as something I could do legitimately until it was time to choose colleges. And, uh, and I just kind of realized, you know what, I don't, I don't like dealing with difficult clients directly. Um, I don't love fluorescent lighting and cubicles and and all of that good Mm -hmm. stuff. And I, 
I commend those that, that, you know, have, have jobs where they do that. I, nothing against it. It's just wasn't for me. Um, so when it came time for, for school, I was like, well, you know what, just, uh, just go for it, do the film thing. And if it works out, it works out. And if it doesn't, um, you'll try it and you can start again. So I, I went to DePaul, um, in Chicago and studied cinematography there and, uh, just kind of went from there. That's awesome. That's awesome, man. Uh, yeah, just to, just to brag on you a little bit, like, you know, I, I was in my job at the church, uh, back in Chicago and like, I was supposed to be the film guy and like, dude, I was just like, where's Chad? Like, I, I don't know anything about lenses. It's help awesome me to have those people around. Help me. <laughs> I think we both learned a lot of stuff together, especially during that time. It was, yeah. there was a lot of changes, a lot of, I mean, the technology was um, changing faster than the adaptation or the adoption of it. Oh, yeah. dude, absolutely. Absolutely. Ch- Chad, this might be jumping ahead again, but a little bit, but if, if you would be talking to it to a younger self or talking to somebody who wants to get into the TV or film production industry, uh, what advice would you give them? Um, it's a good question. I, you know, I, I think, you know, make sure that you love it. Um, you know, because the hours are long and not all that glitters is gold. Um, for sure. Um, you know, be, be aware of the reality of it. Um, and if you love it, find ways to, to protect the spark in you, you know, Mm. if you're, if you're doing a bunch of projects that are, um, say you're doing a bunch of corporate videos, right. It's an easy way to kind of get beaten down and be to, to lose sight of that kind of the artistic thing that you had originally signed up for. So like go and, and make movies, I guess that's, that's the advice, go and make stuff, you know, at whatever cost, however you can, if it's weekends, if it's whatever, just do it because the only way to get better is by doing it. Yeah. Hmm. I think that's really true that a lot of creatives, we wait for like the perfect opportunity for it's like, Hey, this is going to be great. This is going to be awesome. I want to do this. It's going to be perfect. But it's like, that's not the way that, that you can do it. It's just shit out and create and create and create and do a lot of it. Yeah. Try to do it as best as you can. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, I think you're always kind of fighting the perfectionism in you, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, uh, dude, but, absolutely. But, but if you're waiting for everything to be perfect, then when the great opportunity comes, you're not going to have the skill set to take advantage of the opportunity because you never put yourself out there. Right. Mm. Well done, buddy. Well done. Okay, so that concludes the podcast. <laughs> we'll wrap it up. Okay, we'll wrap it up. No, no, no. no. We, got, we got more questions for you, buddy. Uh, okay, so... You went to DePaul, you, you know, started fleshing out this, you know, passion of filmmaking, cinematography. And then, uh, you know, I remember that there was a point in your life where, you know, you were kind of doing this, like the indie thing, doing a lot of that kind of stuff. And then you were really trying to get into, you know, the union. And, uh, can you kind of explain that process and why that's important? Um, and I, I know everyone's journey is probably different, getting into, you know, the film industry, you know, at large, but what was that like for you and, and how did that help your career? Um, yeah, I think the, the union presented a lot of stuff that the indie world, uh, just inherently doesn't have access to, right. If you don't have a big budget then you can't be shutting down blocks of 
of streets in Chicago or elsewhere. And, you know, how do you learn to light a, a chase scene that's four or five blocks long um, if you don't have the budget for it? You know, how do you learn how to use certain tools, certain toys? How do you get exposure to people that are, have been doing this, you know, for 50 years? Because um, those guys don't, you know, stick around for in the indie world. You know, sure, sure. You know, or, or maybe they come back and they do an indie um, after they've learned. But, you know, it's at some point you probably get close to maxing out what you can learn mm. um, or, you know, minimizing the opportunity to learn other things. So, um, yeah, actually the union um, asked, asked me to join. I, I did a, an indie feature, um, which was, you know, it turned out great, but the production of it, I won't say which one was, was a wreck. And by the last day, um, everybody on the crew was just like, beaten down and they're like, I don't think I want to do this anymore. And, uh, literally on that day, as we were wrapping, I got a call from the president of the union in Chicago and asked me to, to come join. And, uh, the very next day I was out working on, you know, one of the Dick Wolf shows (laughs) and, uh, that's amazing. Yeah. So it was, yeah, it was, it was, it was nice. And that, you know, a lot of that also came from just people that I had met that, you know, went on to do union stuff and they were able to put in a good word for me and, and, uh, bring me along. So, uh, not, not my own doing. Wow. I'd love to, I'd love to maybe just stop and ask a little bit about union in particular. Um, yeah, there's, you know, I think as people are thinking about getting into the production industry, you kind of do take these paths of like, do I continue and do something on my own or do I join a union? Um, and sometimes I think the union has kind of a negative stigma too. A lot of times, um, but uh, or depending on, I guess what you're what you're doing too. But can you tell us yeah. t- tell tell somebody who's maybe not familiar with that process? What, what does that mean, and what does that look like within the production industry? Yeah, I mean, you know, in terms of at least my industry, um, I'm not going to say this is the same for everyone. But sure. the union is there to be a safeguard between um, the production and the crew, right? because inherently the artistic vision always outweighs the means and um, producers, a lot of them are, are morally flexible. Yeah. And uh, when I was doing indies, it, you know, they would pay you the minimum livable wage. And sometimes not even that because you're just trying to get in. So they'll, they'll, yeah, you know, here's 75 bucks and you're doing 18 hour days and, they're not feeding you and you don't have access to health insurance. And, um, you know, there's just a lot of taking advantage of people. Um, so the union is there more or less to create a set of standards and rules, a playbook for producers, for production companies, um, directors, et cetera, that says, Nope, like this is how much they get paid. Here are the benefits. This is when lunch is, if you violate these things, these are the penalties. Um, and, but it also provides training, right? So, you know, they teach you how to use condors and how to run power and how to, how to do those things. Um, because the union really kind of steps in probably around like the million dollar mark um, for movies ish. Uh, that's like a, like a tier one feature. Um, but 
you know, they, so they kind of step in on that stuff. So that's where the, the bigger scale comes into play. Sure, so, yeah, sure. um, if you're coming from the indie world over, you might not know some of the, the bigger toys and things, which, you know, inherently are dangerous. So the union provides kind of a safeguard for that stuff yeah. as well. And it, and it is an opportunity, I'm assuming, for people who want to get into film production or even live production to be able to get some of that experience and some of that growth within their industry. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I, I think so. And it's also just, you know, I think um, all production is a, is a people industry. It's, you know, who knows you and who you know and what those relationships are. Your next jobs always come from somebody that, has your name from somewhere. Um, sometimes it's maybe a cold call off a website or something, but in my, at least in my experience, it's almost never been that. Um, it's always been people vouching for you. Yeah. So I think it's, you know, another really great opportunity to meet, you know, a different set of people with different experiences that again, I've been doing it longer than you and there's a lot to learn there. Yeah. Totally. Wow. So with the union came, you know, more opportunities to work on some pretty incredible productions. Um, can you just kind of walk us through maybe some of uh, some of your favorites, maybe some of the ones that, you know, we would recognize um, and then, you know, maybe talk us through just like your experience, like your experiences, you know, on some of those. Uh, yeah. Come on, name uh, drop for us. <laughs> I always feel awkward in this part too. You know, it's like, well, you know, what's the most famous person? I know I you do. Know. That's why I asked the question. Uh, <laughs> um, like Nate said, I did work on, on the last season of Fargo here, um, which was a, you know, very cool opportunity to work for some cinematographers uh, that, uh, you know, have, have Oscars or Emmys. You know, I worked for Eric Master Schmidt from, from Mank and uh, 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 Mindhunter. Um, I worked on a, on a show called Utopia. That was an Amazon thing. Uh, there's a show called the shy, which was showtime. Shameless was also showtime. Um, the Dick Wolf kind of empire, Chicago fire PD med also worked on empire. (laughs) Um, which was, I think that was Fox, um, suits, uh, USA, Boy, I'd have to uh, Native Son. That was an A twenty four HBO movie. Hmm. Um, a couple other Hala. That's an Apple TV movie. Oh, really? I did not know that. Yeah, that's yeah. Cool. Um, so- not, not when we were making it. When we were making it, it was a tier one feature that they found the funding for independently, and we made the movie. It went to Sundance, and before it screened, Apple. It was, I believe, it was their first purchase. No for, way. You know, before Apple like had announced, right? Um, the whole, yeah. Wow. But uh, yeah, I don't know. A, ha- a handful of things you can you can find most of it. Or some of it yeah, you know, you know, you've got IMDb. you've got an IMDb page. So yeah, you know, there's an IMDb page. Dude. How it gets updated and all of that is kind of a mystery to me sometimes how do they find out about that (laughs) (laughs) somebody just scrolling through credits i mean i mean for me it's it's a personal achievement of knowing someone that is on imdb so (laughs) thank you for that appreciate it we'll make a few calls see if we can get you in (laughs) i don't want to be on (laughs) coffee and gift tape season one (laughs) i don't think i don't think there's room for us on imdb which is it's okay it's okay 
Uh, okay. So, which one of those, you know, kind of productions are you most proud of or have the fondest memories of? Oh, that's a good question. Um, you know, I think art- artistically, um, I'm proud of uh, what we did on a, 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 it's it's not out yet, um, but it'll be a, a facts miniseries. Uh, the title is called The Bear, unless it changes at some point. Um, which the cinematographer on that was Adam Newport Barra, who shot, you know, Last Black Man in San Francisco and Native Son, or not Native Son, and uh, uh, Euphoria. Um, and, you know, that one was, was you know, very challenging, quick shoot, um, you know, a lot of production difficulties, but effects was very much like, here's the money, make the projects, we're hands off. And we got to do some really cool stuff there. And, and Adam is, is, really awesome and and was very willing to kind of help me out in my journey um but uh from a crew standpoint i think i had a, a lot of fun in the the indie times and those some of those movies that are like who knows where the, the back of amazon prime or something <laughs> um um the first season of the shy was um also very challenging that was all you know like 14 15 hour days every day um a lot of like half of our week was splits or overnights um, in that, in the hot muggy Chicago summer on the West side and South side. And, you know, a lot of violence around us and things, but um, the crew was really great. And met a lot of really good friends there that went on to do some really cool stuff themselves that have been able to, you know, ride their coattails to some degree or ask them to help me out and stuff. Yeah. One one thing I'd love to ask. So you've talked about kind of a few different roles um, between lighting and being a gaffer and DP. Um, can you explain maybe some of those different roles and what that means in some of the different areas of film production? And I'd also love to hear from you too about how you have decided to kind of cross over between those. Is it as you have an opportunity to try something, you say, you know what, I might want to try this instead. I mean, is there a lot of crossover that happens where, you know, one day you might be doing lighting the next day you're a director of photography. What does that look like within a typical team? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely something that you have to kind of fight for. Um, uh, those opportunities, um, and, uh, for me, it's, there's been a lot of, you know, kind of calculated decisions, um, there of either, you know, sometimes you take a step down to, to go forward again. Right. So, um, you can go at the top rung of the indie world and then, you know, join the union and now you're the, the bottom rung of the union world, um, and work your way up again. And then going back into transitioning out of the lighting department into becoming a cinematographer or a you know, director of photography, um, same deal. Going back to the indie world and having to take a pretty massive step down from the things that you're used to working on or the way that you're used to working on things to, uh, to advance again. Um, but in, in terms of the hierarchy, everything's kind of, um, yeah, hierarchical, I guess. Uh, that works. That, is that a word? It is today. Okay. Great. <laughs> Thank you. Yep. Um, but yeah, so you have your, your director of photography 
um, who's in charge of you know the overall image, what you're seeing on the screen, right? The three people are the director, the production designer, um, and the cinematographer. Um, so the cinematographer oversees the camera department and the grip and electric department. Uh, electric department is setting the lights um, and running the power. The grip department is providing camera support and shaping light. And the camera department, um, you know, obviously does the, the camera things. Um, and then within those departments, uh, from the, at least I'll speak to the electric side. I, I did start as a grip and I gripped for multiple years. And then I wanted to transition to electric because for me, I felt it was important to learn all of the roles and how to do it so that I was never in a position where um, I'm asking for things that I don't know how to do personally or sure. yeah. um, I don't know the foundations of, and therefore I don't understand the, the complications that can arise or the frustrations of asking, like, I need, you know, this light there. And it's like happy to do it, but you can't expect it to show up, you know, in a minute or two, cause that's a massive power run or whatever, you know, just yeah. being lear learning how to efficiently operate a crew. Um, and how to light things, right? Like I, I never wanted to um, solely rely on a on a gaffer who is the head of the, the lighting department to say, you know, all right, here's my here's my frame, and you know, I want it to be soft and glowy and bright. You know, like yeah. I want to be able to to actually have a collaborative discussion with my gaffers of saying, hey, I want this, I want that. I'm okay for open to suggestions, but also can kind of push back and forth. Um, uh, so that, that was my thought of kind of jumping from department to department, role to role. No, that, um, that's awesome, so, man. Yeah. I mean, we yeah. not, you know, not to derail the conversation, but we talk a lot about that, uh, in a live production world, uh, especially, you know, when you're talking to, you know, lighting, audio, you know, kind of broadcast, it's like, how can we all kind of work together? to, you know, create this like great, you know, image that looks good mm -hmm. on camera, but then also can like, you know, translate in the room. Um, and so, yeah. yeah, there's a lot of that kind of crossover and trying to be able to speak languages that, you know, are, aren't necessarily na native to you when it comes to like broadcast lighting sound, how do we all kind of like get the best product? And I think that's really smart mm -hmm. to, you know, uh, especially on your part in the film industry is like really trying to you know, cross train yourself enough where yeah. you can achieve the best image or achieve the best product at the end of the day with like the least amount of runaround, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, it, it kind of, Oh, I'm sorry, Nate. No, I, I was just going to say, I think it's a, it's a great life lesson, life lesson in general that in general, you know, whatever field you're in, it's like, you got to learn what you don't know. Right. And you can't just assume, Hey, I know these things. You got to know that you don't know them and teach yourself in those things and grow in those areas rather than just assuming that you know everything about everything. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, th I think for me, it was kind of surprising that we do these, these shows, these movies. And uh, you know, it's like we have a 44 foot, trailer full to the brim of of lights for the electric department and then they have a, a 10 ton truck full to the brim of cable and some other lights for their rigging department and then the same deal right the electric the grip department's got a 40 foot truck of 
grip stuff and a 10 ton truck worth of, uh, you know, rigging grip stuff. And then a five ton just for dollies and cranes. And then there's like one 30 foot trailer with three cameras or two cameras on it. And the, the person, you know, a lot of times producers would look at people in camera department because they're closer to the camera and say, you know, that person can be the, the cinematographer or more likely to hire them. And for me, it was like, well, how's the person that stays in the trailer going to know how to really operate and talk to the people that have way more stuff and way more people and, you know, you know giants crew. Whatnot. So, um, so yeah, so I, I guess for me, I just wanted to, to learn all of those different things and, and do the hierarchy, the gaffer being the, the head of the lighting department, the best boy being the kind of the producer of the lighting department. I am so, I am so glad you brought up best boy. Cause <laughs> I, <laughs> I mean, like I want to be a best boy, but I don't necessarily know what that means. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, um, it's a lot of managing people. It's, uh, it's hiring people, firing people, making sure that equipment is being ordered and working and, paperwork is being done time cards are being filled out you're also kind of the the troubleshooter when the guys have a light that breaks or power starts not working they you know it's dad <laughs> run off the truck and you, you go fix the things or whatever give some support and uh, that's yeah. awesome do you know why it's called best boy uh i could be wrong on this but i believe that it stems from back in the day they would they would ask you know send your best boy your best guy and your oh. crew over to deal with it with an issue that's awesome and it's stuck i get it wrong hey I, we'll go with it you're you're our expert yeah. so we're gonna go with it <laughs> okay i think we should have some new job titles within the resi team oh absolutely I, <laughs> I i claim i claim best boy yeah uh all right so obviously you know, in the production. Oh wait, well, hold, on, hold on. Let me just take a quick step yeah. back because we were texting about you know this episode. You know, kind of scheduling things, and we had to move it because. Well, wait, did you have to? No, no, we didn't have to move it. This was you were telling me you had to do something else, and and you said that you were on a raisin brand commercial. Yeah. So I uh, I I just I just shot a raisin brand commercial. One, I just love that, and two, can you talk to me about the difference between? the film industry and the commercial industry and like, how do you cross over and are they kind of one in the same or, you know, and what are some of the commercials that maybe you've worked on? Um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of overlap. Um, uh, there are some differences, right. You have to deal with, with agencies and, um, clients and, and things that, you know, I think in the, in the narrative world, that is really just like, you know, Disney or effects or whoever it's, it's all Disney basically these days, Um, (laughs) but someone at a studio has to give the stamp of approval or whatever. Um, but you know, for that, there's a lot more artistic freedom sometimes and whatnot that you might not be able to get on a a commercial, right. Because you're selling product. Um, but, but there is overlap and I've, you know, I've worked on a lot of stuff with, uh, with a rate, like I, I did an Anheuser-Busch commercial, um, at, at one point as a, um, as a lighting technician, 
Um, and the cinematographer on it was, you know, Maddie Lubatique, um, who, you know, had done, we did Native Son, but, you know, you know him from uh, Black Swan and Iron Man and uh, Venom and uh, uh, Star is Born and, you know, all these, you know, big stuff. But, you know, even those people, they, they dip out and they go to the commercial world and they make some money um, and then they go back to doing some narratives. You know, they do it in between stuff and I'm, I'm kind of the same way. Um, so, yeah, I shot this, this Raisin Brand commercial this week um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's money in the pocket and it's still flexing. It's a different, different kind of skill set, different tools. You know, you kind of have to be a little more polished, deal with clients, talk to producers um, whatnot, um, before dipping back out and going back to narrative. Did craft services have much raisin brand? You know what? They, they didn't. What? I don't think they did. That is a missed opportunity. Surprising. It, it, it was. Well, next time uh, I pour myself a bowl, I'm going to be thinking about you. And <laughs> so you. is everyone listening to this podcast. So I'm sorry if I just made you the raisin brand guy. But I, well, it's all right. That's okay. It's a good, I'll be the raisin brand guy. It's a good cereal. Uh, <laughs> is this sponsored? Hashtag. I mean, not we might have to tag them. I don't know how how the shoot go. <laughs> it it went well. Okay, yeah, it was cool. good. So maybe maybe they'd be willing to to sponsor you. Yeah. Well, throw, get, if you could start every episode with the big crunch of raisin bread, yes, right into the with the with the milk the milk that just like drips off the spoon. Mm-hmm. I'm starting oh, yeah. to think maybe Daniel has some like under the pocket sponsorships or under the table sponsorships going on and. Oh, you should see my you should see my Tesla outside. I'm rolling deep, guys. I'm rolling deep. (laughs) Not really. Okay. So, anyways, um, production during COVID. Not to bring up a bad you know a bad vibe, but what what was that like for you guys? I mean, I know. I mean, you know, we all saw the headlines. You know, major productions were getting you know pause, shut down, you know, derailed movies were being shifted to streaming, uh, theaters were shut down. Like what was that like for the film industry? And then, you know, kind of where are you guys headed now? Yeah. I mean, it, it was, it was a sad time. I mean, I think the way it was for, for most people, right. Was, you know, overnight kind of all the work was gone. Um, and I think I think as freelancers, uh, a lot of people, you know, have some kind of runway, but they weren't necessarily expecting, you know, a massive shutdown in the middle of of a busy season. So it was hard. But I I think a lot of a lot of people were just there for each other. You know, you saw a lot of had a couple production companies reach out and and prepay. Um, for a couple of shoots just to make sure that their, their people were taken care of, that wow. they'd have some money. Wow, that's cool. Um, yeah. So there were some really cool things there and, you know, in terms of, in terms of the bigger budget things, um, you know, it was kind of weird to shut down production the stages were you know, all there left. And then, you know, like months later would come back and f- try to finish an episode, um, you know, I think like Fargo was during that time, and uh, uh, yeah, just because because of COVID, all the for me, all the shooting work kind of came to a pause, um, which was nice to have 
the lighting contacts and that experience in the back pocket to be able to go and make some money. Um, but, uh, yeah, Fargo shut down overnight and then like three months later or four months later, we came back and like finished the last episode or two, but there was like massive rewrites that needed to happen. Sure. Because, you know, some of the crew were, or some of the actors were stuck in Italy or England or whatever. Wow. So there's, there was definitely a transition to a lot of virtual kind of, kind of things. Um, and a lot of, a lot of streaming, streaming products or products, uh, like doing commercial tabletop stuff and you're streaming it to a client in, you know, across the world, which some of it is kind of stuck around. It's just kind of interesting. Hmm. Um, so it's raisin brand commercial, you know, there was, and it's trying to not try to like plug you guys too hard here, but, <laughs> um, uh, but uh, yeah, in this Raisin Brand commercial, there was, you know, maybe seven people from agency and client um, over in Video Village. But then there's still EPs and other other important people that were in New York and L.A. that were getting, you know, the live feed of what was going on and, you know, get their stamp of approval. That's uh, really cool. We did a job for Facebook that was like, you know, it, the director was in New York Um which was kind of weird. You know, I was like directors in New York, the, the client is in San Francisco in the Bay. The agency is in LA. And, you know, so it's just like yeah. a lot of, a lot of things happening at once for sure. Do you, do you think that's going to stick around? Like, do you think some of the things that happened during COVID are, are how is that going to change the industry going forward? Um, I think some of it will stay, um, the unions just put out a, a new agreement that, you know, cause previously to get back to work, we were getting tested every other day. Hmm. Um, you know, mon Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or, you know, however it kind of laid out for your schedule. Um, and you know, it's still, even now it's still, you know, masks on, on set and, you know, even with things kind of coming down individually boxed food, all that kind of stuff. So some of the, those things are going away. Um, and I think it's it's less streaming than it was before at the height of it, for sure. But, you know, like, as I said, with the Raisin Brand thing, right? Like, this part of that streaming stuck around. They weren't staying in New York because of COVID. Um, half the people were from New York uh, there. But they were staying because they're busy and their schedules, you know, are better suited to be able to turn on a screen and say yes, no, and go back to their work. Hmm. So I think some of it will definitely stick around. Yeah. Yeah. Just to kind of increase the efficiency of a shoot and, you know, maximize the time of the director or whoever can't be there. It makes a lot yeah. of sense. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. Okay. So we've talked a lot about, you know, the film industry and yet, you know, here at Resi, we are, you know, really focused on, you know, the live production industry um, but I always just love like asking this question because it helps us kind of learn from one is industry, uh, you know, how can, how can this other industry, you know, in this case, live production become better or learn something, uh, maybe that we didn't know before. And so what's something that, you know, the live production industry can learn from the film industry, uh, whether that's, you know, from a relational standpoint, uh, you know, technology standpoint, resource management standpoint, like what's something that, you know, you could really see being beneficial, 
you know, cross, cross industry. That's a good question. And you're answering um, for everyone. And this yeah, is the right, the this has to be the right answer. So no pressure. Uh, you know, it's, it's hard to say, um, because I haven't done a, a ton of live production things. I've, I've been asked to, to DP on a few, like, live stream slash capturing of like conferences but they wanted it done in a more kind of cinematic feel right mm -hmm. um, or like you know like a stand-up show or whatever right like you do have sometimes kind of this kind of crossover um but there's there's a lot of differences and it's hard to really know hey this or that without kind of being in in the in the weeds there sure sure um but, you know, I, I think, I think, uh, you know, maybe just the way that people are, are treated, mm. um, you know, I think, um, at least in, in my experience with doing live stuff, it's definitely a lot more, um, seeing people as able bodies that can do with do a thing, lift something or put something on instead of treating them as technicians that have really spent a lot of time honing their craft and learning things that are um, beyond somebody else's skill set. You know, there's a lot of people where if they see someone in Chicago's local two as like the live riggers and whatnot, um, and they see him as like, oh, they're just, you know, right, like this body to do something. But those are people that have studied rigging and electricity and and you know there's putting giant video walls above pe people's heads and on you know but it's important work sure um and you have to treat everyone as as a human you know mm. still still care for them and give them turnarounds and, and feed them and and not just treat them as as dumb labor yeah it's really good that's awesome man really well said Chad, one, I think that kind of leads well to you into, into something broader that we always ask, you know, almost everyone that we have come on. Uh, gear is great. It's awesome to be able to play with lighting and sure. video and sound, uh, whether that's in film production or live production. But what is at the heart of what you do and what's at the heart of, of Chad Gilcrest? Um. You know, for, for me, it's like telling stories. You know, I love, I love telling stories and I like supporting other people. Like, I don't want to be a director. Um, I love the opportunity to come alongside directors and, and say, hey, yeah, like, let's make your movie. And, uh, and you're the boss here. But being able to say, you know, if we shoot it this way and this way versus a different way, um, it'll be better for how the story is told or the scheduling or, you know, those types of things. I'm trying to find the balance between the, the technical and, and the art. Um, you know, I, I, it's been said many times that the best camera is the one that you have access to. Yeah. And mm. uh, I believe that, you know, like I, there's stuff that is floating around the interwebs that, uh, that's stuff that I, I shot that I had very little amount of things. Um, and if you were to get behind the scenes photos of, of it you'd be like wow this is pretty sketchy or not unsafe <laughs> but just like you know they're using 
tin foil for what, you know, <laughs> right, right. I mean, right. Like even that, that effects thing that we were doing, right. It's, I mean, this huge cinematographer and, and a massive crew and yeah, we're like bouncing light off of tin foil because it looked good. Mm. You know, it didn't, it's, it doesn't matter. I think we get caught up a lot of times of like the Instagram hype, you know, like yeah. a lot of cinematographers are like, especially the younger ones, like the Instagram DPs, they're like, you know, I'm going to order five vortexes instead of sky panels or a different light or whatever, Mm -hmm. because it's the new hot thing. And other people will see me doing the new hot thing, but it's like, it's a zero sum game. You just took away a bunch of money from other departments to, to achieve the vision of, of what needs to be done. Mm. Um, so I think, you know, it, if it looks good on the screen, don't worry about how it looks when you're shooting. Yeah. Do you, you do, do you think a lot of people would be surprised by like some big name productions and what the actual set, uh, what's taking place on set? Yeah, I think so. I think for sure. Um, you know, Wes Anderson is like a really great example of that. Um, if you were to look at what you see on screen, it, you know, it's beautiful, big set pieces and it's, you know, really well composed and lit. But look at the behind the scenes stuff. It's, you know, it's like a four by three flat. Um, and the entire set is literally just what you see, you know, mm. it's, and it's a lot of it's kind of trickery, right? They're yeah. doing lighting gags. That's just a light on a dolly and someone's pushing it and it's making it look like a train is going by. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it really doesn't matter how things are done as long as it's safe um, what matters is, is what it looks like. So I think that's, that's the challenge. I think for a lot of people is sometimes you get so caught up in the, in the gear buying and the kind of, I think social media has been really awful for this, mm. um, but just kind of trying to project a certain yeah. position or place or whatever, where you are in a career. Yeah. You know, I just bought this camera. I just got this lens. I got this light, whatever. And it's like, you know, if it looks good, yeah, man, it looks good. I, I was watching a video. I think it was Peter McKinnon on YouTube a couple of weeks ago. And that was like one of the factors that he talked about. Cause he talked about how he's moving away from cinema cameras. And uh, one of the factors though, he was, he was like, you know what? Sometimes clients, have this expectation that you're going to show up with a big camera <laughs> and like, <laughs> right? that's a real thing. Um, but, uh, you know, a lot of times you can do the job more effectively with something that's, uh, even not as yeah. bulky. You're not as, you know, big of a deal to deal with. For sure. Well, it's so tricky though. You know, you gotta, like I, all the time I'll throw a map box on a camera that does not need a map box. Look at this camera. Like their money's worth. Man, yeah. he's legit. <laughs> Exactly. We know this. Right. Right. No, totally. Um, 100%. 100%. Okay. So this is, this is my, my last question. Um, you know, if, if you're to dream a little bit, like, you know, obviously it sounds like you're living the dream, you know, but what, uh, you know, where would you love to be, you know, as a cinematographer, you know, someday, like what's your dream project? Um, you know, I think I just, I'd, I'd love to be able to do features that, um, 
are impactful on somebody somewhere the mm. way that some of these movies that I saw growing up that, you know, frankly, not a lot of people did, um, were meaningful to me at a, at a certain place in life. And I think that's, that would be really cool to, to be able to do that. Um, yeah, well, you know, we'll see, we're, we're going down that path. I've got a, I got a feature in the, well, it's supposed to be the fall. I'm guessing it'll probably really shoot closer to the winter or spring. Um, but, you know, trying to get down to that path. And that's and that's kind of part of the thing, right? Is like having that intention and then pursuing it. Hmm. Because I think a lot of people have a, a, a goal without a way is really just a dream. Hmm. Um, and But I think, you know, people have these dreams and they don't do anything to to chase after them. They're kind of passively waiting for the opportunity. And this goes back to what I said earlier about just go do the thing. If you have access to, you know, a light bulb or Home Depot lights and some tin foil and shower curtains or whatever, like just go, go do the thing, go make it, you know, like go try to pursue the dream, make it a goal instead of a dream. It's cool. That's awesome. All right, Chad, that is all the time we have. Uh, but I wish that we could just keep you on zoom, uh, just for me personally, I think I'm just going to have yeah, you like, just be on zoom and uh, I'll just carry you around <laughs> with me all day. So, uh, but yeah, again, I love that. thank you so much for joining us. And I, I think our listeners are going to be really pumped yeah. to kind of get a, a peek behind the scenes of, you know, what the film industry, uh, looks like, uh, for real. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. I've, I've enjoyed this time. It's great to, to see you again, Nate. It's great to meet you. Yeah, likewise. Awesome. All right. Wow. Yeah, man. That, that was, was good. That was awesome. Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, you know, I went to film school, um, but literally know like a quarter of what he does, which is insane. Um, That's how it goes with school. <laughs> you know, you know, something like, like, like Chad said, man, just, you got to go do what you want to do yeah. and it doesn't matter, you know, what you know Yeah. Um, at the time, you mm-hmm. know, that's how you learn. And, yeah. and it's just so cool to see him. I think one of the cool things that he said was just being really intentional mm-hmm. uh, of, and, and calculated about the steps that you're taking Yeah. because, uh, you know, that really, you know, obviously dictates the direction that your career can head, yeah. which is pretty cool. I think a couple of things I got out of, out of it, first of all, is just being cross-trained, just being Absolutely. a learner. Absolutely. Such a um, huge thing. Is yeah. such a huge, huge deal. And even in a leadership level, I think like director of photography, like he was talking about, you're going to be so much more effective if you can actually understand what goes into the things that you're asking for. Uh, and at the same time, though, learning how to delegate those things well as well. Um, yeah, there's just a whole process of once you understand all of the pieces that are going into it, you're going to be a lot more effective leader that way. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing too is, I think just a common theme that keeps coming up in the in the podcast too is just using what you have, um, starting where you are, and really understanding that perfection is not going to come overnight, and you aren't going to be able to get perfection unless you start doing some pretty scrappy things along the way. Oh yeah, absolutely. The resourcefulness. Uh, you know, cannot be understated. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and I think, 
you know, we, we've talked a lot about the film industry and, you know, these mega budgets and things like that, or at least mega, to, you know, to me, like a million dollar budget, yeah. it's like a small deal in the film industry or an entry level thing where the union would get involved or something mm-hmm. like that. And, you know, I think about the live production industry and it's like, you know, you got to be scrappy. You right. got to be resourceful, you know, in any, and I think maybe that's, you know, where the love of gaff tape comes from, <laughs> <laughs> you know, in a way, I mean, you know, we're, we're taping things together and, and making things, making sure that, you know, things are obviously safe, but we got to get the job done. And Absolutely. I think, I think that that's a really cool unifying thing, you know, across, you know, production as a whole. Like if, if you go from one person to another, yeah. you know, there's going to be stories of, Hey, like, you know, we use tinfoil and right. we, you know, yeah. we just had to get it done and, yeah. you know, it looks good on, on camera or, yeah. you know, to a person in the room, you know, for a live event and, yeah, it's pretty awesome. And it starts with your heart. It starts with the story. Yeah. It starts with that intention. I think we've all watched things. We've we've both from a, a film production and a live production standpoint, you've gone to events where you can tell that the team down from leadership down to production does not have their heart in it. Mm, you've seen yeah, films yeah, totally. where it's like this was created because they needed to ship something. Right. And uh, to be able to have that heart behind it and have that story behind it, just like Chad was saying, like that's that's where he feels most creative. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I think one more takeaway from this uh, that I don't want to pass up is uh, when he was kind of talking about, you know, viewing the human and not the task mm-hmm. or, the, or the task that that person can, can do. Yeah. I think that is just so profound and, you know, whether we like it or not, I feel like, you know, all of us in production, especially in leadership roles have, have viewed the task as, as important, as more important than the human. Right. Um, You know, and and obviously, you know, it's not intentional. I wouldn't think so. And so, Mm -hmm. um, but really, you know, I think something we can take from this is, you know, how can we prioritize the person over the task and will that actually make the task come about in an easier, more organic, more, you know, uh, you know, joyful kind of way, especially when it comes to like volunteers. I know like a lot of churches listen to this, you know, Mm -hmm. how can we start looking at the person value, valuing them? And then what does that do to the actual task at hand? How does that, you know, become better because of that. Absolutely. No, that was really good. Chad, Chad was awesome. Good, good, good find. Yeah. Hey, thanks buddy. I mean, you know, dude, I love that guy. It's, uh, it was really, really cool to get to chat to him. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Be best, uh, yeah. Best man in his wedding probably. Well, best, best boy. Uh, I think best boy. Yeah. I think we'll go with that. <laughs> I mean, you have to now, Chad. It's, 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 it's a thing. <laughs> All right. Let's wrap this puppy up, right? Sounds good. So don't forget if you are enjoying the show, like us, follow us, uh, subscribe. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've got YouTube, we're on Google mm-hmm. Podcasts, we're on Spotify Podcasts. And of course, just like the smart guy, we are on Apple Podcasts. Please be like smart guy, the smart guy, the only one, I, th- I think. That's, yeah. what, that's what the review said. Apparently. Um, comment. You know, review us on iTunes. That is so helpful for the show. It helps, mm-hmm. you know, kind of influence the algorithms. And might you know, even be a free T-shirt or something in it for you. I mean, this guy. If you, he, if you let us know, he said he said it. He said it. <laughs> Maybe even a personal note. Yeah. Right. Of of thanks. Yeah. I think. I yeah. think. Something so in order. do that. It helps us know. 
that uh, you know you guys are enjoying what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and honestly, most of all, it helps people that are stumbling across this podcast to know that this is a space for them uh, to be seen, loved, appreciated, yeah, all that good stuff. So for sure. really, really helpful. We appreciate you guys. And uh, I think that's it. We're done. See you in the next one. All right. Thank you. So, answer this question for us. Who is Chad Vegas? Oh. Chad. <laughs> Chad Hillcrest, who is Chad Vegas? If you can answer that for oh us, please. Oh, my gosh. I knew I, I, yeah, I don't know. I, we, we ask <laughs> everyone that comes on our I podcast. Knew That's I, was the that I knew I was going to do that at one point. I knew I was going to do that at one point. I'm glad I got it out early.